My name is Jeremy Devins, and this is the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. And today we'll be talking about this question that I get from a lot of new teachers who are thinking about becoming teachers. And this question comes up of, how do I know if I'm doing a pose correctly to even be able to teach someone else the pose and know if I'm doing it right, if they're doing it right, what do I look for? How do I even make sense of like, is this the right alignment? Am I out of alignment? I'm going to address all of those questions in today's episode with five specific things we can look at because we need a structure. We need a framework. We need a lens to view what we're doing as yoga practitioners and teachers through. So for me, oftentimes when I was just starting out, I would just go to random classes that I liked. And if I liked the class, I'd come back. And throughout that journey, I would hear different things that stood out and like, oh, okay, so this is how we're supposed to do warrior two, or this is where my hip or foot or my arm is supposed to be in this pose. And it was all just kind of piecemeal, piecing it all together by going to random classes. And then, you know, maybe picking up a book or looking online or reading something in a magazine uh, and maybe just repeating classes online, like video classes and just picking up little things over time. It's like, okay, so this is how we're doing it and why we're doing it. But I didn't really see the big picture. It didn't seem to all fit together. Like, okay, well, this person says you're supposed to do this. Like you're supposed to have your feet and knees together in chair pose. This other teacher says you're supposed to have your feet and knees hips width apart. Who am I supposed to listen to? Why is one right? Why is one incorrect? Why are we supposed to do this in a pose, right? And some people use metaphors and say like, you, know, you wanna uh, spiral out with your arms. Well, what, why are we doing that? Like, is that more alignment? Or some people will say different things in the arms. So it all just seemed kind of random and doesn't really make sense of like why we do certain things. And I was looking for the thing to put it all together. and I really just didn't find it until I did a yoga teacher training and started to learn some more of the anatomy of what's happening in the body. And that is really the key. And as I'll explain today in this episode, I'll kind of go through how I unraveled and sort of uncovered this mystery of why a certain pose is done a certain way. There is a logic to it and there is an intuitive sort of understanding of the body and anatomy that comes with the poses or even if you don't know anything about anatomy, if you've been practicing for a while, you probably are intuitively doing some of these anatomical things that are more anatomically sound and sort of optimal functional movement patterns of the body. And that is ultimately what we're looking for, is how to understand what are the optimal functional movement patterns of the body and how do we piece them together into the poses and we got to understand anatomy. And that just takes time and going really deep into these layers and then seeing the big picture and having a system and structure that lays it all out. So I'm going to talk about the structure that I use in my yoga teacher training that I've used in my own practice and sort of uncovered. And I really had to look at adjacent fields to yoga, not just doing yoga classes, not just studying yoga books, but looking at physical therapy, sports medicine, exercise science, anatomy, just looking at how muscles move, how muscles function, how bones work with the muscles, joints move, all of that together helped me create this clearer picture of, okay, so in down dog, what are we doing? It's not just trying to lift the hips up and back, right? It's not just, uh, you know, don't want to say your chest down here. Well, why? What is that? You know, what are we doing? You can bend your knees. Why? What is that really doing in the body? 
And when we understand the principles why, then all the cues and all the alignment just clarifies itself entirely. It's like the metaphor of like you could teach someone to fish and you'll be able to feed them for life, or you can just give them a fish and they'll be fed for a day, right? So this is where we want to understand the whole process of not just getting the cue and saying, okay, well, you can bend your knees here. Well, instead of that saying uh, the hamstrings might be tense here and that might be limiting the range of motion in the posture so we can bend the knees and that will take the stress out of the hamstrings and reduce that stretch that's pulling there, right? Something like that to that effect where we see the whole system of what's happening in the body and how it all relates. That's the kind of stuff we really need to know to know how to effectively cue. And then the question of, am I doing a pose correctly, almost evaporates. It's not like, is there a right or wrong way to do a pose? It's, there are some optimal movement patterns and some optional, uh, optimal functional range of motion things to be aware of. But within that context, the pose can look dramatically different for everybody. Somebody who's shorter or taller or has an injury or whatever is going on in someone else's body, down dog can look very different for everybody. Chair pose can look very different for everybody. There's certain ways that certain bones are shaped that is just not something you can change no matter how much yoga you do, no matter how much your teacher says that you have to overcome your limitations, you just won't, right? It's in your genetics, it's in your DNA, it's in your bone structure, and that's okay because we're looking for principles. We're looking for understanding how the body functions optimally and not trying to fit everybody into a single pose that should look the same for everybody. There is a general template that we can all work with, but we're not all trying to look exactly the same because we just don't. That's just not how the body works. So the first question we need to ask here is, what standards are you following? So. Are you looking at yoga journal and they're saying this is how you should do a pose? Are you looking at random Instagram posts and they're saying this is good, that's bad? Are you looking at anatomy, right? What are you following? Is it Bikram yoga where they say you're supposed to do these certain things a certain way? You always want to lock the knee, lock the knee, lock the knee. Or is it Ashtanga yoga where they say the pose is not incorrect, student is incorrect, and you want to use force and forceful adjustments to push yourself into the pose? and everyone will eventually adapt if you do it long enough? Are you following uh, Iyengar yoga, which is in, in, incredibly focused on alignment and everybody getting into alignment over time? Or are you doing something like Vini yoga or Desi Kachar's lineage of yoga, or Gary Krafsaw, where it's everyone is unique and everything is adapted to each student. So you give options and everybody does what they can rather than trying to strive towards a certain ideal posture. I think there's a place for all of those and people who follow those paths almost religiously and exclusively for a long period of time will often say that they feel awesome and they really love that approach. And it might work best for their temperament and their mindset and their whole approach to their body and their mind. For some people, like they just need that hot environment of a Bikram class and somebody almost yelling at them, telling them what to do, and that helps them quiet their mind. Right? That's not for everybody, but for some people, people who get really into it, they feel like that's the thing. Like they try to go to like a Vinny yoga class and it's too slow and it's too vague of what we're supposed to do. Right? And it can go the opposite way. Somebody who feels more connected to the Vinny yoga approach and likes the adaptability and the different options, 
like go to a beak room class and feel like they're being ridiculed and chastised and yelled at and verbally abused even and that the, the heat is unnecessary and it's just excessive and too extreme and that's totally valid too right there's absolute validity in all paths of yoga and people finding what works best for them and in that point of their life we don't know what they're going through or where they're at and Maybe they came from like a military background and they respond really well to very clear, direct, blunt teaching. And that works for them. And it might not work forever, but that might be exactly what they need in a Bikram class, right? And somebody might need an incredible amount of discipline and structure and routine. And they might find going to an Ashtanga class six days a week, every morning, same thing, same sequence every time and sort of pushing their body to its limit feels inspiring and gives them hope and gives them routine whereas a, like a vinny yoga class that's really adaptable would be too open-ended for them they need that structure and routine to help structure and create structure and routine in their lives maybe after they've had a sort of chaotic childhood or something like this All right so we don't know what's drawing anybody to any style of yoga and we might look at one style and feel that we are superior or the style we do is better or safer or smarter. That may, There is some validity in that as well because there are some alignment things and anatomical things that are not addressed in some styles of yoga. So there is that aspect and anatomically some styles might be safer than others. But energetically, emotionally, therapeutically, why a student is in a class we don't know and why you're doing a class and what's drawing you to a class as uh, a student. You've got to decide for yourself of like, what standards do you want to follow? Does it feel in alignment to do a certain style or not, or a different style or not? And from there, in that style, there will be guidelines of how to practice. Now, if you listen to my yoga podcast or done my classes or worked with me, you know, I am more in the Krishnamacharya lineage, the Vini yoga lineage, of adapting to each student. So everybody who comes to me, I feel like I can give them something that they can work with, whether they're an athlete, a senior, a young person, old person, whatever background, wherever they're coming from, injured, limited, whatever, there's something we can do to work with. So within that context, there is no one correct pose. Down dog can look extremely different from me to you to anyone else. And in my body, I've done yoga now for 12 plus years, and I still have some imbalances that come up that I have to really be mindful of in my own body. And there's a certain way that, you know, I might look in a pose that might look strange. Like in down dog, it's not the most flat back. Like I have to really work to get more into that sort of alignment of decompressing the spine. And it's like, why am I doing that? Well, it's helping to get the axial extension. It's the anatomical movement of axial extension is one of the intentions of down dog, at least when I practice it and teach it. You could practice it in a way where uh, spinal extension, thoracic extension is the goal. It's kind of a different pose, but it's a variation and I think it's valid. But if you're doing that in Ashtanga class, that is not part of the sequence. That's not the way you do it. Right? So you've got to know what standards you're following. And if you're following a lineage like that, that has a set sequence, it's going to be very, very clear. If you're following a lineage like Krishnamacharya or Vini Yoga or my approach, it's going to be very, very adaptable, which can be a little overwhelming and a little vague and a little confusing at times because there is no just one right answer. 
And I think that, in my perspective and opinion and philosophy, that's closer to reality in real life, right? I can't just say, well, everybody should eat raw vegan. That's the best diet. That's the healthiest. Everyone on earth should do it. And if they don't do it, they're an evil, bad person and there's something wrong with them, right? Try doing that. Just see how far that gets you in life. I think that is not an effective strategy of helping other people. Uh, I've myself, I've been that way to myself, right? And this is where it comes from. I was a raw vegan for like three or four months. I was vegetarian for seven or eight years. I was vegan for five years. And then for about three or four months, I was raw vegan. And everyone I followed that talked about it was like, this is the diet. This is the way to go. This is the healthiest thing you can do for your body. It's natural. It's what we would have done a thousand years ago when we didn't have fridges and fires all the time available to us. And it makes sense. Logically, it made sense. And for my body, as I did it, I felt amazing those first two months. Then I didn't, and it wasn't working for me. And I was feeling pretty bad. I was actually having a lot of teeth issues, eating way too much fruit, uh, even though I was just brushing my teeth the same way, nothing changed there. But I was just eating a lot of fruit and vegetables. So long story short, I was doing something that everyone said, this is the best thing to do. This is the correct thing to do. This is right. And it wasn't right for my body. And I've done that in many different ways throughout my life and found ultimately that there is no one right way for everybody. As simple and convenient as that would be and how much we would love to just have that one answer, it's like, okay, everyone eats raw vegan, done. That's the best diet. It's just not how it works. It's just not how it works. And as you see, it's people, they get so passionate about food debates online. Uh, you probably talk to people like this. So we know that there's no one correct diet. There's no one correct posture. There's no one correct way to look or feel or move our bodies. There are optimal templates that we can follow. Yes, we do want to eat more natural foods than not natural more uh, close to nature than not, less processed foods, right? So there are some principles that work, but taking anything to an extreme and saying, this is the only way, this is the right way, every other way is wrong, I think is more harmful than good. So that's the standard that I follow and approach things with of what is going to be optimal, what's the sort of optimal thing, the range of motion, the optimal sort of foods and nutrients that most people need most of the time, and then work within that. And if there's something missing when I apply it to myself or apply it to a student, then I give different options or explore different options. Now, again, I'm not saying my way is best still, like just because, okay, well, it's adaptable, so you can do anything, so that must be the best. It might not be, it might not be for you, it might not be for your students, but it is where I approach things from. And so from that perspective, I don't feel there is a correct way to do a pose, there's just your way and there's optimal things to look for. So number two to consider is how do you define alignment? So when we're talking about doing a pose correctly, what we're talking about is alignment. And this word gets thrown around a lot in the yoga context, but what does it really mean? So it's important to understand the postures and answer these questions and really consider like what is alignment? So to me, alignment is looking for optimal movement patterns in the body. What is anatomically happening in the hip? What can happen in the hip? What muscles are involved in the hip? For example, with your knee, let's keep it really simple with the knee. The knee can do two actions. Do you know what they are? 
in simple terms, it's just bend or straighten, right? The knee can bend or straighten. There's a tiny bit of rotation in there, but really it's you bend or straighten the leg. That's how we walk. It's how we run. It's how we kick things, jump, squats, all right? All these movements that we do day to day, every day we need to move to survive and just move through our lives. The knee can bend or straighten. It's a hinge joint. It's one of the kinds of joints. It's really simple. Just bend or straighten. So there's muscles involved in bending and straightening the knee. And when we look at a pose like warrior two and the front knee is bent, there's muscles involved that could limit that ability to bend the knee. And there's a certain direction that knee optimally will bend that is not going to put extra rotational force on the knee. A little rotation is okay. A lot is what can lead to knee injuries. So we plant the foot in warrior two and then try to point your, so say your left knee, left foot is forward in warrior two, and your front knee is pointing towards your front middle toes. That's a straight on hinging action. Uh, you've got to have all the others, your back foots and the alignment with your front foot where it's not too far out of that line of your heeled arch or heel to heel alignment, somewhere in that range. And that's going to get you in the right spot so your front knee can bend towards your front middle toes. That's what we're looking for. That's, that's a point of alignment, right? And that's what I would define as alignment throughout the whole body. So every joint of the body has this optimal direction it's moving or action that it's taking that is based on what is the functional action of that joint or that part of the body. <clears throat> so if the knee is straightening, that's gonna take some of the work out of the muscles and make it easier for somebody who's more of a beginner. Doesn't mean it's wrong alignment, it means it's progress and they're meeting their edge today and not forcing themselves into an extreme, but they're moving in that direction. Are they moving in the direction of the alignment or a direction of misalignment? Misalignment would be doing something that that part of the body is not really designed to do. In this case, it's a warrior two, left knee is forward, pointing towards the front middle toes. It's somewhere in that range, front middle toes. And if their knee starts to come in, so it starts to internally rotate at the left hip, that's the knee is now gonna be pointing not at the front middle toes, but past the big toe of the left foot towards the right corner of the mat. Now we're going into internal rotation of the left hip, which is not one of the actions of the pose. We actually want the external rotation of the left hip and the flexion of the front knee. That's bending of the knee and the knee tracking towards the front middle toes. So all of this stuff I'm talking about is the anatomy, the actions of the body. And when we know that, then all of this question of, am I doing a pose correctly, just illuminates. It becomes so much clearer. A pose is a collection of anatomical movements. And there's optimal anatomical movements and suboptimal anatomical movements. And these apply across the board to all humans based on the general structure of the human body. So in all cases, internally rotating the front knee in warrior two is going to start to pull on the ligaments in the knee. And if you do that excessively repeatedly, that's going to lead to pulling and tearing of the ligaments of the front knee and knee injury. So that's why that's not how warrior two is traditionally taught. That's not one of the alignments of the pose. Now, every point of the pose, there's cues like this. 
So it can get pretty complex pretty quickly, but it's also extremely simple once you understand the anatomy and you have the framework and structure of how the anatomy works. Then you just overlay it onto the pose and see what is the thing we're going for here. And Iyengar, who is one of the people who sort of codified a lot of these poses, like, why is Warrior Two what it is? Well, Iyengar is one of the people who helped make it. That's like, that's what Warrior Two is. Uh, there's there's other teachers as well along the way, but at this point, there's a sort of general consensus of this is Warrior Two, this is Warrior Three, this is Down Dog, and that has built up over the years, passed down from teachers and. Some of them are from the old text all the way back to like 200 BCE or possibly further, but a lot of them are more modern evolutions of different shapes. And they all intuitively have arrived at this point where they are optimal anatomical movements. And that's how you know what to look for. So that's what I call alignment. Alignment is understanding the optimal anatomical movements and seeing if the body is doing them or doing something that is not typically one of the functions of that area. And basically, you know, well, if it's not one of the functions, how can we do it? Well, it's sort of drifting out of that functional movement. And this is what is so challenging for a beginner to oppose. And whenever you teach beginners, they're just learning, they're figuring out like, how do I even make that shape of warrior two? And they're not having the mind muscle connection yet, which is not a judgment at all. I certainly didn't when I first started. I was shaking a lot in Warrior Two and having a hard time just figuring out what what it feels like to even feel my body. So there's this sort of process of getting embodied, building mind-muscle connection, building neuromuscular efficiency over time, right? And this is all within this whole framework and structure that I'm talking about of understanding how we do poses. And then from there, so from all this foundation of the neuroscience, the anatomy, the functional movement patterns of the body, that is how we get to knowing what alignment is. And when we know that, then we're just putting together a combination of these movements, and that's the pose. And we look at a pose, we look at crow pose, we see, okay, that's spinal flexion, that's shoulder flexion, that's knee flexion and hip flexion. So it's, it's everything is tucked in. And we see the heels are moving towards the hamstring rather than away from the hamstring. So there's a contraction of the hamstrings that's happening. It's kind of subtle there. So we see all these pieces in the pose, but we have to know the big picture first. And the pose is really just a small uh, expression of all the possible ways that we can move our bodies. And when we see that, we can see where it's not optimal and where it is optimal. And that is how I define alignment but I could be wrong. You could find your own way of defining alignment. You might find a lineage or teacher that you really align with. And I feel I've always been evolving and adapting and I'm always learning new things and willing to learn. But I find that really, really effective and incredibly useful to just know these things and then apply them to the body. And that is what I call alignment. Number three thing to consider is what are the common misalignments of a pose? So if say your pose that you're wanting to know, am I doing this correctly? Am I doing a locust pose correctly? So a common misalignment might be to have your hands, an easier one actually would be cobra pose, cobra pose. So you have your hands down on the floor under your shoulders and say you just push full force into your hands and your elbows become straight your shoulders shrug up towards your ears. 
right? So those are some common misalignments in Cobra Pose. And what it is, is that we're adding movements that are not optimal in that position. Shrugging your shoulders is a great thing to do, but when you're doing it in Cobra Pose, you're at such a sharp angle with the floor that a lot of the stress of the pose is going to go into your lower back in a way that the lower back is not well aligned to support that weight and that load. So putting weight on the lower back is not a bad thing, but doing it at an angle where it's extra stressful and causing excessive arching of the back beyond what is a safe range of motion is a misalignment. So we understand the optimal range of motion, optimal actions of the muscles of the body and spine and the joints. Then we wanna see if this pose is supportive of doing these certain different shapes. So you wanna know the common misalignments of a pose and that comes from just watching bodies, from trying things yourself. And the more you look at people, the more you see these things in different poses. And in my training, I show countless examples of different poses. This is in alignment or what's missing here? What are we looking at? What do you see? And the more you learn how to see these things, it's like an x-ray vision. And you can see instantly, oh, okay, there's elevation of the shoulders. Uh, the elbows are locked out. The arms are internally rotated in say this example of Cobra pose. So the fingers are pointing towards each other. The elbows are locked shoulders are shrugged, that's putting a lot of extra stress on the lower back, which is in this hyperkyphosis, so or hyper lord, excuse me, hyperlordosis, the lordotic curve is the arching of the back. And when you overly do that, overly arch the back, that's hyperlordosis, which is a straight path to back pain over time especially when you put all the weight of your body into it with pushing your hands, right? So that's how we see, okay, these are the optimal movements. These are where things can go awry. Number four, and this is what I've been saying all along, what are the anatomical actions that are happening in the pose? So is it internal or external rotation of the shoulders or the hips or the legs rather? Is it a pointing or flexing of the foot? Is it dorsiflexion or plantar flexion? Is it a, a bending or straightening of the elbow? So flexion or extension of the elbow. So we look at all those anatomical actions and I break it down into pairs in my training so that you can break it down into pairs. Uh, you can get something like the anatomy coloring book that helps to understand these things. That's something I recommend. You don't have to get it, but uh, it can be helpful just to see how it talks about alignment. But even better than that is just physical experience, trial and error. So just standing up and bending and straightening your elbow, noticing what contracts, what lengthens, how it's all related. So everything works mostly, for the most part in the body, in pairs. And when you understand those pairs, it makes everything so much easier to see and feel. And when you feel it in your body, as I've talked about before, when we're teaching, we're really just transmitting the feeling that we've cultivated in our own bodies and helping other people experience that. So yoga is caught not taught. So we're not just memorizing things. We're not just repeating things verbatim. We're transmitting the physical felt experience of yoga. And we know what it feels like in our bodies and through mirror neurons, help them feel it as well, step by step, right? So like even today I was teaching an advanced pose in a power class and 
I break it down into like five steps that you can do. So everyone can probably do step one. Most people can probably do step two. Some people can do step three. A couple people can do step four. And maybe one person can do step five, right? So everywhere along the way, there's somewhere to progress. And it doesn't mean that somebody can't do a pose and they're lesser than, not at all. When I first learned Kundinyasana, the pose I'm talking about, I... I had no idea what to do. I was like, I'll just look at someone else doing it. And they gave some instructions and I do my best to try to follow. But if you break it down step by step, is there's a clear direction of progress. And over time, I was able to find that and, and build up to it. Okay, so the arms are doing this. It's like chaturanga, hip flexion of the right leg, then knee extension, right? So you just understand the alignment. And when I'm teaching, I'm not going to say all of those things like that. But as a teacher, I'm looking for these things and seeing, okay, well, their knees a little bent here. So that means their hamstrings were a little tight today. So I could have done more in the sequence to open the hamstrings first and make it a little more receptive to going into this advanced pose later. And we see all the anatomical actions happening in the pose. And in your body, when you're doing a pose, you feel flexion or extension, rotation or lateral flexion, and you piece it all together and know for yourself, okay, this is anatomically sound. Because I know if I add a rotation here, that would not be anatomically ideal in this pose. Or if I do this or that, you piece it all together, but you have the big picture perspective of it. it sounds like a lot, but it's really simple. You break it down into pairs, you break it down into simple steps, and it's totally doable. And number five, as I just talked about, what are the possible progressions of the pose? So say you're asking yourself, am I doing crow pose correctly? All right. So there's sort of breaking it down step by step. And this is how I teach. So I don't just say come into crow pose. Everybody just bring your knees to your arms and lift your heels. Right. That's that's not very helpful. So I break it down step by step of hands to the floor, feel like chaturanga here, knees to triceps. So I'll say step one, you go here, step two, you go there. And then say I've got like five steps to get into crow pose. For example, sometimes I'll do more or less steps. There's not a clear linear way for this. It's watching people and adapting. So I give them the steps and then I see, okay, well, maybe everyone's doing crow pose. All right. We're holding it a few breaths. It looks solid. Now I could give a progression to advance beyond that. One-legged crow pose. Lift your left knee off your left arm. Hold everything the same. Right? And I can work towards extending that back leg, left leg back. So we can add on progressions from here. And that all just comes from practice over time. And I wouldn't say necessarily regressions, but there are steps back. We can we can sort of tone it down. We could do less. Could say progressions, you could say regressions, you could say modifications, but I would usually just say it's all point of progress. Step one of a pose of, of crow pose of just pushing your hands to the floor, shifting your weight into your hands, that is where crow begins. That's step one, and everything extra is a progression, right? So you have to have step one first to do anything else because all the weight's going to be in the hands. So I look at it that way. Right? It's just a sort of inclusive kind of languaging thing, I think, to say everything is crow pose. There's just progressions from the most simple first step that everyone can do. And I always try to break down the complex poses. What is a version everyone can do? And start there and then progress from there. So usually in a class, you'll end up and say you're in down dog, right? There's pretty much everybody will just get to down dog. Most people know what it is by now. 
And you can say, am I doing down dog correctly? Well, I've got, okay, my knees need to bend a little bit. There's some tension in my hamstrings. That's okay. You stay there. And maybe you progress by bending and straightening. You bend one knee, straighten the other. So you slowly progress towards having both legs a little more straight. Why? Because you just want to challenge yourself. It's not better or worse. Over time, you build flexibility. It feels nice to have flexibility. It feels nice to have range of motion. But you don't have to. There's no... <laughs> There's no rule here. And the standards that I'm following, at least, again, the first question of what standards are you following? In some lineages, they'll say you have to touch your heels to the floor. You have to have a straight, flat back. And in my approach, it's, well, uh, a straight, flat back is okay to do occasionally, but that is not how the spine is designed to hold weight and bear load. And if you just have a straight, flat back all the time, you're going to be incredibly at risk and weak if you have to ever push something up the stairs or, or pull a dresser across the room, right? We need curves in the spine. If you ever need to like uh, grab something from a tree or up from a cupboard, right? That is optimal for the spine. So we want those curves. Those are the standards we're starting with. But then, you know, we can explore things. We can explore decompressing the spine and down dog. So then we can explore progressions from there, of maybe going into a twisted down dog or lifting the right leg up and back, stepping forward into a lunge, right? So there's lots of things we can explore. And even that of stepping forward to a lunge from down dog is pretty challenging for a lot of people. And how do we progress to that? Well, we work on knee towards the nose first and step by step and add progressions from there. So those are the five things to consider of if you're doing a pose correctly. Is number one is what standards are you following? Who is saying this pose is correct or incorrect? I'd say that if it feels good in your body, that's a good starting point. And if you're moving in the direction of this optimal movement pattern that most poses happen to have inherently, so that's a great thing about yoga is most of the poses happen to have good alignment in general inherently. So that's a good standard to follow. If you use something like tummy that I have my teachers use in the teacher training, that has the sort of standardized versions of the poses. Most places will have these sort of standardized versions that most people agree on most of the time. There are other lineages that will say different things like Bikram and Ashtanga have their, their different variations. But the standardized sort of most common poses are the ones you'll find most of the time. And I think that's a good standard to go with. And adapting and listening to your body, doing what is best for you to feel good, probably you're good. Does it feel weird and like something's pulling, extra pain, pinching? Probably not good. And look at the shape. Okay, is the knee bending or straightening? Is it internally rotating the leg or externally rotating the leg? That means knee turning in in warrior two or a little more out. And then number two is how do you define alignment? And again, I think it's knowing the anatomical actions and lining things up. So like knee over ankle in warrior two is a pretty solid position. It puts the... Knee over the ankle straightens up the shin bone, the tibialis, and that takes some of the load off of the muscles and helps sort of evenly distribute it across the fascia, the bones, and the muscles. So that's good. We want these kind of things. We want things evenly distributed throughout the body and sometimes emphasizing certain things, but we know the actions. So that's number four is what are the anatomical actions happening in the pose? Number three is what are the common misalignments? And you can see that if you're in a group of class, a group class and see other students, you can see that if you're watching a video with other people, 
usually the teacher will be demonstrating things well. Most of the times teachers are demonstrating the ideal alignment and it's not ideal for everybody. Nobody needs to look exactly like anyone else. Your body is different. You have like the way that your femur sits in your hip bone is going to be different for everybody. So some people are going to have an easier time externally rotating or internally rotating their knees. Some people it's going to be safer to do knees together in chair. Some people it's going to be way safer to do knees hips width apart. So if teacher says you have to do it this way, this is the right way, always be willing to question that and listen to your body first. And the better you know your body, the better you can see these things. And the better you can see the misalignments in yourself and in others and know what is right for you. And the last consideration, number five, is what are the possible progressions of the pose? So like chair pose, you could add arms up like a Y, palms face each other. That's optimal anatomy. And I just weave it into all my cues, right? So I found ways to say things that will get you in the uh, anatomically safe alignment without a bunch of words and just really simple and direct. Arms up like a Y. We all know what that means, right? Palms face each other. Simple. Arms are externally rotated in what's called scaption. Don't need to know that right now, but that is the optimal movement of the arms when they go overhead. It's like a Y, palms face each other. Some teachers will say palms together, and it's not necessarily the number one optimal way to move the shoulders, but it is definitely safe for most people as long as they don't have a lot of excess tension in their shoulders and they're able to unshrug their shoulders, at least not overly shrug the shoulders. There's a little bit of elevation there. All right, so we know all these things. We learn all these things over time, all the possible movements. And then we can add these progressions like chair. You could have arms up like a Y. You could bring palms together overhead. As long as you know that's safe for your body and you feel it's not stressing out your neck and shoulders. All right, and there's a lot of other factors within that. Uh, you could add things uh, like different balances from chair pose. You can do a lot more from there. But it's all just play, really. It's like, okay, you know, you know the basics, you know the anatomy, the alignment, the movement patterns, and then it's all just sort of play from there. So what are the optimal movement patterns? What are the optimal ranges of motion? It's just so much more than we could cover in a podcast and just auto through audio, you really need to see and feel these things. And that's what I do inside of the Quiet Mind Yoga teacher training. So you can sign up right now at quietmind.yoga slash YTT if you're interested. And I will walk you through all of that in this whole system and framework that I've adapted and evolved over the years, integrating yoga, anatomy, exercise science. And if you can't join for whatever reason, timing's not right, whatever, just come to my classes. You can come to my classes on Zoom. You can check out my classes on the Quiet Mind Yoga podcast. This stuff is all weaved into there. It's all integrated into how I teach. And there's no just quick one answer, right? You're not just going to learn in this 40-minute and how podcast all the possible movements of the body, all the possible actions, but it is all weaved into my classes. So it's not just random classes. It's not just random cues. Everything is integrated together inside the Quiet Mind Yoga membership site, the videos there, everything weaves together. So if you learn how to externally rotate your shoulders in one class, that's going to apply to every other class you do ever again. If you learn how the, you can strengthen your quads by trying to extend your knee into the floor, right? Maybe I lost you a little bit there, but there's little cues like this that you can do and you learn, you pick up in each class. And it's built into every class that I teach. So as you practice with me over the years, you get all this stuff. 
it all starts to sink in. But if you want it all really synthesized and see the big picture and how to teach it to others, that's the Quiet Mind Yoga teacher training. And there are other teachers who are integrating this stuff. I'm very happy to see more of this coming into the yoga world and this understanding that we need strength. We need to understand optimal movement patterns. We need to understand exercise science to understand stretching and do it safely and well. So it's very important to have all of these things in our wheelhouse, in our knowledge. And that helps us know every pose we do is optimal movement patterns. Every pose we do is correct in that sense because it is using optimal movement patterns safely and staying in alignment. So I hope this was helpful for you. If you have any questions or feedback, send me a message at jeremy.quietmind on Instagram or jeremy at quietmind.yoga on email. Quietmind.yoga slash YTT is where you can sign up right now for the next class of teacher training. We keep the class small and focused and give you a lot of direct attention and feedback. I am very happy with the training. I feel it's my life's work and I'm happy to share it with you. So if you have any questions about it, uh, we can schedule a quick Zoom meeting, see if it's a good fit for you and hear about your background and what's inspiring you to check it out. So thank you for listening and I hope you have a great rest of your week. I look forward to sharing more with you next time on the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast.